to hear my friend Gil. So Gil was just hammering you with those nine things. It was great. I listened to it and enjoyed it so much. Um, we're halfway through 1 John already, believe it or not. And so if you're coming uh, for the first time to Discovery Church or you haven't been for the last few weeks, I want to bring you up to speed on a few things. First, there is a purpose and theme for this letter being in the Bible, preserved by God for us today. There's a purpose for which John wrote the letter in around AD 90, and it's found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, uh, where he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Hear it again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, meaning you've understood that God is real, that God created all things, and that you're to live in a right relationship with your creator, but you can't do it because of our brokenness and our sin. But God is so good, as it says uh, in the first uh, verse of our scripture in 1 John 3 today, because he loved us so much, he sent his son. And if you've received that understanding, you believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who lived in history as Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is the Son of God, who is the Son of Man. Uh, you don't want to live, and God doesn't want you to live, always wondering, considering, reflecting, um, grinding in anxiety. God wants you to have assurance. God wants you to have confidence that you have eternal life. And I really appreciated um, last week that Gil unpacked that word life, zoe, uh, that's used here. And that's used throughout the first John because it's not chronos. It's not just an endless string of days, years, decades, centuries, millennia into forever. But it's actually a whole different quality of life that you get to live, that, that humans uh, are designed to live, that hunger to live that way. And it's this, this, this life that's just bursting forth. It's the things that are talked about in the Bible that can't be bought or can't be gained or can't be achieved or can't be grabbed by power like uh, love and like joy and like um, peace that's not tied to our circumstances. It's just bursting forth. This is eternal life. And it's not something that you get the, the moment you take your last breath on earth. It's what you get the moment you take your first breath with Jesus. Love having the kids here. So elementary school, high school, we're all together today on this holiday weekend because these are important things to know. In the very first week, I talked about this idea of knowing. So it's the idea of intimacy. It's not the idea of, of knowing about. And uh, Yuan, in his message, if you haven't heard it, you can go on the podcast. You can listen um, to these messages because they were they were both wonderful, UNs and uh, Pastor Gills. And he talked about fan or friend, and he talked about being a Philadelphia Eagles fan and um, what it means to know about a player versus actually knowing a player, going to his house, going out to a restaurant. There's a, a complete difference between, between being a fan or friend. God's not calling you to be a fan of God, to be a fan of church, to be a fan of Jesus. 
God's calling you into intimacy, and we'll talk about that at a new level today. And this book, this letter, 1 John, as you had also taught us, is giving us those things where we can know that we know that we know. Uh, he used the illustration of a litmus test that reveals what actually is. This list or these things that are contained within the letter of 1 John aren't just things that you go after to achieve or work at, although we do cooperate with God the Holy Spirit in this, but we actually walk it out in a way where it actually reveals who we really are. And there's a real shift in this um, chapter 3 into a theme that's really prevalent in the book of John, which is this idea of love. That love is the defining characteristic of the believer. If you're a believer, God's purpose in you is to put his love in you so it can come through you to the world. To the world. Um, one last thing as we just kind of shape the intro so we're all on the same page. Um, everybody put your finger out, especially kids. This is a fun part. You ready? Okay. So one of the things that I talked about the, in the first, in the setup message for this is this idea of loops. So you can just make your finger move forward a little bit where there's loops looping back on the line you've already drawn. You could start way over here and come all the way across. And we're going to really, really see that starting to happen in chapter 3 where you're like, wait a minute, haven't I already heard this somewhere? You have because it was in chapter 2 or it was in chapter 1. He's going to loop back over those things. So we're going to get into the Bible now, uh, 1 John chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we would love to supply one to you. Um, there's Bibles on those center two tables where we'll be taking communion later. There's some people who might hand out a Bible. You just put your hand up. It's a gift from Discovery Church if you don't have one with you. We have a couple of hands up. Make sure those folks get a Bible. Or go ahead and just go to your mobile app and you can use that there. I do have the whole scripture and we're going to do an impossible thing. <laughs> don't, it's going to be exciting. Those of you who have kids, I'm going to try and Blend in some activity as we go along. But we have this unbelievable challenge of getting through the entire chapter 3. <laughs> but what's so great about it is that the theme of chapter 3 is that we're children of God. So let's all say that out loud together. Kids, say it with me after I say it. I'm going to say it, then you say it. We are children of God. Kids, did you all do it? We got a little late here, so we're going to try one more time. We are children of God. Very good. So if you're already a child, that makes it easier because you're a child, then you can be a child of God too. But for us adults, in whatever age you are, it says that we are children of God. Let's read these opening three verses. We'll get through the whole. We're not going to read it all uh, at, up front. We're going to read it in segments. You ready to go? All right. Lord, bless the reading of your holy word. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. That is what we are. We're children of God. Just in case you didn't get it the first time, he repeats it back to back in verses. And I want to go through 
um, just a few things that talk about what it means to be a child of God. Five things. So if you're a parent with kids next to you too, they could help write these things down or you can look at them as you write down because there's keywords. So the first thing we want to ask is, children of God, what does that mean? Well, first thing that it means is that we're born of him. Now we need to go back to Gil, the, verse, the last verse in Gil's passage last week, which was 229. Let me read it to you. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So there's this born language that has been in the Gospel of John, and now here it is in the letter of John. So if, if, if you're a child of God, it doesn't mean that when you were born in the earth, think about the hospital you were born in. If you're a kid who's here, think about pictures that your parents show you when they're holding you as a baby when you were really, really little, right? But you're a, you, were, you were a child once, you were a baby once, you were born into this world. <clears throat> and there's, in the language of our culture, in the language of the cosmos of which we live, the world in which we live, one of the things that people like to say is, well, we're all children of God, so we should all get along. And, as I usually do at least once in every sermon I do, I want to kind of tweak maybe something that you think. All human beings are not children of God, according to Scripture. All human beings are creations of God. Wondrous, amazing, intricate creations of God with will and with mind and with a body a soul that integrates those things together, that lives and can live in relationship with the God who created that person. They're wondrous beings. All people are valuable to God. And no people are our enemy. Back in chapter two, we found out who our enemies are. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Kids, this is really a fun one to say, so I'm gonna say it again. You can say after me, you ready? Kids are ready? Okay, one kid's ready, so I'm going to go for it. We have enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. All right, no people are our enemies. They're wondrous creations of God, but they're not children of God. How do you become a child of God? Well, very early in the Gospel of John, John has a conversation with somebody called Nicodemus. Write it down in your notes if you're taking notes. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Jesus says this shocking thing to Nicodemus, who though he knows the whole Old Testament by heart, because to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the whole Old Testament. He's trying to wrap his mind around what Jesus is telling him because he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And even after Jesus explains it to him in verse 8, Nicodemus says, how can this be? Well, what Jesus is talking about is this, is that because of sin, the spiritual nature, the, the nature of us that would connect with God was, was killed, was dead. And so the scriptures are clear in Ephesians 2, many, many places in the scriptures that we live in fact, I was just talking with my oldest son about all our favorite zombie movies. Yeah, zombie movies, right? But we live among the living dead. People are alive. 
they're smart, they have heart, they're wonderful, but spiritually they're dead. The scripture says we're dead until we're alive, and the only way to come alive is to believe on the name of Jesus Christ for what he did to take that sin away and connect us with God. We are children of God when we are born again. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. See what agape, that's the introduction of this word in the letter, that we didn't do anything for it. God just said, I want you to be my child. I have the way in which you can be born into my family just like you were born into the family of which you're a part. Maybe even you're a family sitting here together. But that was a process of physical birth, but there's a process of spiritual birth. Second thing, we have to move because we have to get through a whole chapter. Children of God mean we're in a family. All right, how many of you are in a family on the earth? Okay, raise your hand if you're in a family on the earth, kids. You're sitting with your parents, so I know you're in a family, <laughs> right? We're in families on the earth, but being a child of God means that we're a family in heaven. A lot of families lately and people have been curious about their ancestry. Some of you have gone to Ancestry.com or 23andMe and you found out shocking things maybe about your family tree. Um, but you're, you're learning about that ancestry and part of who you are and what tribe you were part of or what family you were a part of of the larger world. But here's the deal. Once you're born again, being part of God's family actually is the highest identity that you then gain. You have God as a father if you've been born again into his family. So think about your surname. Kids, did you know that you have a surname? It means your last name. Your last name. What's your last name? You have to be louder because I picked a very hard last name to say. Okordipa. Are there any Smiths? All right, okay, Okordipa, I am a Kreiser, you are a Wemberley, right? Do we all have a surname? Yes, that's the name that you have after your first name. Your first name makes it personal within your family. There are no other Jeffs in my wider family, except among the Kreisers of Pennsylvania. But, it identifies you individually, but your surname is the part of the wider family you're in. Christian is your family. It's a very broad, diverse family, a family that some of us struggle with sometimes because just like in real families, there are weird people in our family. <laughs> There's weird portions of our family, weird weird movements or, or denominations or associations. But if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and you love one another, which is the end of our passage today, we're all part of the same family. So you're a child of God, which means that you had to be born again into his family. The second thing is that that now means that you're in this family. The third thing is, next thing up on the, on the board, is that we're a distinctly different family. The cosmos that was talked about by UN, the world right, the organizational principles of how this world works, the economy of this world, doesn't understand Christians, Christians who are really being Christians. They don't understand us at all. 
It's the same word oida. They don't know us. They have no intimacy with us. They're like, they, they're like we don't get you because they didn't get the father. <laughs> if they don't get the father, if they rejected the son, they're not going to get us. So we just have to get over it. There's going to be some people, because we're distinctly different, who just don't want any part of us or want anything to do with us. And I do want to add to what Yuen um, shared. Where are you, Yuen? You just preached a dynamite sermon. I know you're around somewhere back there. Is here, I, want, I want you to know that cosmos there, when it talks about the world, don't love the things of the world, because those who love the world don't have the love of the Father. What it means is this. The world system that's set up without reference to God. That's what humans have been doing all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Right? So we're going to create a system without reference to the fact that there's a creator who created people. Creator who created the, the, the larger universe, who created everything to work in a certain way that would cause health and life and flourishing. So that world that's set up is going to go, that's a distinctly different kind of family and we don't understand them. So when you're in the Christian family, there's going to be times where there's people in the world who, who don't understand who you are or why you're doing what you're doing. Okay, one more, or two more, real quick. We're not yet what we're going to be. We're growing up, okay? So is there a third grader in the room? Is anybody in the third grade? You in the third grade? No. All right. Is there a third grader over here? Could you stand up just for a second? Because third grade's awesome. Are you about to be in fourth grade? Sweet, man. Put it together. Put our hands together for going into fourth grade. It's so great. And what's your name? Ben. Finn. And you're Caleb. Are you going to school yet, Caleb? Perfect. And does that mean you're going to be in first grade next year? Sweet. You're wrapping up. Are you going to do like a kindergarten graduation or anything? Yeah, your mom will keep you up to date on that. Okay, so we have somebody going into first grade. We have somebody going into fourth grade. But here's what I know. Parents who are with your kids today, kids whose parents are at home because they sent you to, to college, right? When you were born and you were this little baby that was being held, your parents had no idea what you were going to become. They, they didn't know. They might even have someone who's going into first grade or going into fourth grade, and that that personhood is still emerging. Do you understand that? This process of maturing. And in this passage that we just read, it says, we're children of God, but we don't know yet, you know, all of what that means. We don't know what we will be because it has not yet been made known. Folks, we're kids like the kindergartner, Finn, Caleb, and the third grader, Finn, who's going to be going into fourth grade, right? Where we don't know as of yet, you have Jesus, but you're on this incredible adventure of growing up. You are not who, all of who you are meant to be. Can everybody say amen and thank you, Jesus? <laughs> right? Don't you want to be a little more? Don't you feel like you have some growing up to do? My goodness, I turned 50, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm almost out of life. And I know you; those who are older than me are laughing their heads off, right? But, but I'm almost out of life, and I feel like, 
I'm just getting going in terms of growing up, in terms of knowing. But we're in this family that has this incredible reality that when eternal life starts, because you took your first breath by confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, that you have this, you do have an endless maturing process that God has now drawn you into. And you're going to grow up into being a child, into being an adult. And we're hopeful children, last point, meaning that the hope that we have in Jesus purifies us and makes us like Jesus. The thing that we can do now is look at the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the personhood of Jesus in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and just kind of lean a little further into the kind of life that he lived, not just the teachings that he taught, but how he actually worked with people. So, our first point, we're, we are children of God. So I want you to say it one more time, ready? I'm gonna say it, then you're gonna say it. We are children of God. Perfect, very good. Now, there's some things about us as children of God that are really important to know that we get into, and we're gonna move a little faster through these. Chapter three, verses four to 10. We don't have time to get through all of this, but we're gonna read it. And we're gonna talk about the fact that children of God don't keep on sinning. Children of God don't keep on sinning. Let's read this passage, verses four to 10. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to pause there for a second because there's two very important things that are talked about in this, this passage, and then we'll read the rest. First, that Jesus appeared for two reasons. In other words, he showed up at Christmas. Actually, it wasn't Christmas at the time. It was a census. But he showed up on the earth. He came to the earth. He lived his life for two reasons, very clearly. One is that he appeared to take away our sins. He appeared to take away our sins. Verse 5. He appeared so that he might take away our sins. Do I have to say it again? <laughs> right? It's a core belief of Christians. You believe that Jesus took away our sins. When we take the table, when we take the bread and the cup, we believe that Jesus has taken away our sins. The second thing is that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 8. The Son of God appeared. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Remember, our enemies aren't people. Our enemies are a system that's set up against God. Our own internal nature, which says, I can satisfy my desires apart from God, that's the flesh, and the devil, who's happy to contribute anything he can to that process to keep you away from God. But Jesus has done this. And so what's, 
John writing here, John is writing and saying this, that once you are born again, you're in the family of God, and you have the name Christian, you don't make a habit of sin. So this is my next thing that we have to say together. Kids, are you ready? It's don't make a habit of sin. Ready? Don't make a habit of sin. I'm going to say it again. Don't make a habit of sin. Right. So you have something in your life. You read the Bible and you go, oh, my goodness. It's actually a sin to curse my brother, to, to call that person a name or categorize them or, um, or hurt that person with my words. But that's just my little thing I do. It can't be that big a deal. It is a big deal because your family values say you don't curse a brother. You don't speak cursing, you speak blessing. On the other side, you know, every bad thing has a good thing that you do instead of it. So you say good words, not bad words. Is everybody following me on this illustration? <laughs> right? Have any of us had the challenge, right? Because he's going to talk about Cain here in a moment, about murder and about hating. In fact, let's read that part. Oh, we got to finish this part first. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God and the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. So number one, we don't stay stuck in sin. I will tell you, I've felt stuck in sin sometimes. Maybe you never have, but you feel stuck. There's something in your life where you're like, man, I can't, I can't shake free from this, or I didn't know about it, but then I realized the thing that I'm doing is hurting others or myself, or, or what's even harder is I'm actually commanded to do something, which we'll hear later in 1 John chapter 3, like take my worldly possessions and give them to somebody else in the church, to a brother or a sister who has need. I have two tables, like I could give this table away. Or I have one table and God says, take that table and give it to this other person because they need it more than you. Ah, uh, really? Yeah. If you see your brother in need, you close your heart. We'll get to that in a moment. How can the love of God be in you? Love is going to actually find itself, find its workout. So you're going to see this loop happening here where it says anyone who does not do what is right or does not love his brother and sister, who does not confess the Son of God, the opposite, right? But the Holy Spirit in you, the seed that's in you, is going to keep you from this habitual sin. The Holy Spirit's going to create in you this experience of conviction and of change where you actually begin to actually move from what you were doing to what good living really is. Does everybody understand that? So I just want to declare to you in the name of Jesus, you don't have to be stuck in any sin pattern that you find yourself in. If you've ever found yourself in the past in sin pattern, if you are right now, if you don't, you're unaware right now what might be keeping you away from a deeper intimacy with God, but then you discover that and you're challenged by it, it's not just you. God's given you the Holy Spirit 
Holy Spirit tells you that you're a child of God according to Romans chapter 8 and many other places, and you walk out in that power. All right, we're moving on. Time flies. Roman, <laughs> Romans, now I'm in Romans. 1 John, help me. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. Children of God aren't haters, we're lovers. Children of God aren't haters, we're lovers. Let's read this, this passage. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and the world uh, and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So the world doesn't know you and the world might also hate you. Looping, right? We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other, anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So great passage with the kids here, talking about Cain and murder in church. <laughs> uh, kids, murder is the taking of somebody else's life intentionally. Jesus ties this actual thought to the hate that's in our heart even before an action would take place in our life. And again, this is you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. You're part of the light, you're part of the darkness. You're either giving life or you're taking life, right? And um, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like hate and division has become more visible in our society in the last few years. Anybody else see that? Am I my only one? It seems like that. It's been there. It's been there. But we're seeing it. And we have to examine ourselves and say, you know, what, what is in our heart? And why is there, again, this massive contrast between two things? Hate and love. Hate and love. It's because... Um, there's a fundamental idea here that we're not haters. Christians are not haters. When you have that family surname, you're not a hater. You're a lover. And what hate does is hate takes. So hate can steal, but hate could also kill. Hate could rob someone of their character. Hate could... Um, uh, separate uh, a family member, one family member from another, but hate takes, whereas love gives. Love gives, right? So if Cain took the life of his brother, if the devil um, tricked Adam and Eve and, and stole, you know, the future and the eternity and the beauty that God wanted for us, you know, how did that get reversed? Chapter 3, verse 16, we'll keep reading. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So here, love is defined as giving. Love is de defined as laying down our lives. Now, two weeks ago, we celebrated Mother's Day. So I'm going to pick on mothers again two weeks later. Is that okay, moms? Especially moms who are, like, working hard right now uh, with kids sitting next to them. 
moms, we understand, especially young moms, if you're not a mom or a female, you remember your own mother um, with very small children. When you have very small children and you are a mom, the, the life force that goes out from a young mom, both in carrying a child, in nursing a child, in teaching a child and, and putting boundaries around a child that will keep that child going in the right direction and safe, is a boundless outpouring of energy. Moms say amen. It's a boundless outpouring of energy and focus, especially in that infant to preschool stage. It's unbelievable. And it's a model of what it means to lay down your own life. Because I guarantee you, any mom that you talk to in this room, or if you talk to your own mom, during that stage, that woman who is a mom had to lay aside all kinds of things that were very important to her previously, or may be very important to her now. But in that time frame, she had to lay aside those hobbies, those interests, that work that she was doing, um, those other relationships that, that she had for a period of time as the, that life was laid down and it was giving. Is everybody following me? So I just want you to understand what that selfless giving looks like. And that's a, a great illustration of that, that, the best illustration I can think of in terms of talking about that. But it also talks about, too, your heart, right? So if hate starts in your heart, and the ultimate outcome of hate could be murder, the ultimate outcome of hate could be killing, what we're what, we, what happens to us as children of God, actually, is that in our hearts, we actually experience pity, is the word that, that's uh, in the Bible. The word pity there means, uh, compassion means seeing the person's need and being, knowing that you are, you are called or you're required to actually do something about it, Right? So that, that you would look at that person. And very specifically, it's saying within the church, right? It's saying within the community of believers. Now, there's a lot of need in our world, and I'm saying we should touch that need. But here in this scripture, it's saying if you see your brother or sister, if you see someone else with the last name Christian, and you know and you find out about their need, they're in, they're in a place where they have a real monetary need or they're in a place where they're in a deep depression and they need uh, mental health help. If it's a friend who's going to be moving and they need somebody to lift boxes and you just very consistently close your heart off to that and go, well, um, I hope that move goes well. I know how hard that is. I've had to move a lot of times, right? Or you do something... Um, you say some words, but you don't take action. What it says is that actually we need to get in each other's lives, get in each other's business. It means being a little bit vulnerable if you have a need, but that within the family of God, the Discovery Church that we're becoming is going to help needs be met. You know, this morning, it's the last Sunday of the month, so we take a benevolence offering at the end of the service, an exit offering. 
That benevolence offering from the church helps people in need in the church who, who, who need a little bridge of hope and a bridge of help. Does everybody understand that? So we're not haters, we're lovers. And we just have to say, how is it that we are actually building the reputation for Christians being people who love? Okay? So Christians, we are, we are children of God. We actually experience um, the grace of God in our lives in such a way that we don't keep on sinning, but we do what's right. We're, we, we don't have a reputation of hate, right? And we know that in some circles, Christians are seen that way. We're actually wanting to undermine that by loving each other and doing uh, expressions of love in our community. And the last thing is that children of God um, find rest in his presence. Let's go to the next slide. The children of God are not restless, we're at rest. We're, at, we're, we're not restless, we're at rest. So let's read the last part of chapter three. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This last part is, is really significant. And we took a whole month to talk about Sabbath. You might want to go back on the podcast and uh, listen to some of those messages. But it's this idea of not being restless, but being at rest. God's people are able to know that we are secure in this family, in this relationship that we have with God. Now, a lot of Christians, um, and many of us have experienced this, maybe you're dealing with it this morning, deal with self-doubt or self-condemnation. We deal with the paralysis of analysis of our own hearts. And we, that's what it means there by our heart condemning us. We feel like, you know, because of our sin or because of our background or because of the trauma that we experienced or any number of reasons that we have a disconnect in terms of our, of our relationship with God. Well, the Holy Spirit is present to say, I want to put your heart at rest. You know, the difference between our heart condemning us and Holy Spirit conviction is this. The Holy Spirit will call, call you to repentance. In other words, to say, well, that's not the right way to think or that's not the right thing to do. And to change and will give you assurance. Assurance that as a child of God, you are going to be walking as a child of God. And I think that this passage is recognizing this fact that at various times in our Christian life, our, our hearts will condemn us. And it says that God, our Father, who is in charge of the family, is greater than our hearts. And our hearts can rest at his presence. And I love what John does because he always boils it down to something very, very simple. This is how we're at rest. That we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. Do you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, this morning? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, the son of man, the forgiver of sins, the Lord of life, 
the leader of the kingdom in which we walk and in which we live? Are you willing to love your brother and sister, to show love to those who are around you, those who are part of your family surname, but also the families that would gather together as Discovery Christian Church, or the Christians in our greater Davis community who gather in other buildings with other labels or names on them to say that I'm ready to love those brothers and sisters as we walk as one family so that Davis and Woodland and Dixon and the surrounding area can know who Jesus Christ really is. We are a, a church that experiences communion, the Lord's table, every week. Part of that is that we would continue to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the forgiver of sins, and also that we are called to love one another. Um, so this morning, when we take communion, we're going to do it a little bit differently. Um, I'm going to, in the first uh, opening music that Roly um, leads us in, in the song, I'm going to ask you to take the bread and dip gently. So dip, not drip, <laughs> in, our, in our context. But I want you to hold the bread. And I'm, we're going to actually take the bread together as God's people this weekend um, as a symbol of the fact that we're part of the family of God together and that we're called to love each other. So um, we'll get some more instruction from Roly as he comes up right now to um, lead us in communion. But let's pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, so many riches in this letter um, of 1 John. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would allow us to richly receive that, richly um, think on it, meditate on it. For those of us who are in discovery groups to discuss it um, and consider the actions and adjustments and changes as you, Holy Spirit, uh, shape our life. Give us a cooperative will, a engaged mind, um, and a passionate heart uh, to follow you. Lord, as we share this communion together as one church this weekend, we do want to confess that we uh, acknowledge, Jesus, that you are the Son of God and that we are called to love each other, to love one another, the one command, the one new command that you gave. In Jesus' name, amen.